to the For We Are Many podcast. My name is Rob. Uh, I will be your host this evening. Um, sounds like uh, Trisha's caught in a sandstorm in Arizona, so she may pop in, she may not. Um, we do have a few different things that I want to talk about tonight. Um, obviously, I don't have anybody to like bounce discussion off of besides you guys in the comments, so I might through I might move through some of this faster <clears throat> than I normally do, but uh, we're going to be talking about the housing market, right? We're we're seeing a, a massive cool down of housing prices. We're going to talk about why. Um, we're going to talk about how the Federal Reserve 
is pushing us not just into a recession here in the States, um, but also a global recession. Um, the UN actually urged the Fed to back off um, because of global recession fears. And uh, we're going to take a look at a... Uh, shit. I thought that I had gotten past the paywall on this. Fortune magazine has a interactive tool to show um, how home prices have changed across the country. Um, but obviously I won't be able to do that if I can't get past the paywall. Okay, there we go. I got it. All right. Cool. Uh, we're going to be talking about Hurricane Ian, of course. Um, that We're going to take a look at some of the damage. Um, we're going to talk about relief efforts in the area. <clears throat> um, actually, I'm going to go ahead right now and post the, um, the, the link for the Socialist Rifle Association's um, aid efforts. Oh, that'll be in the comments. All right. Um, let's see what else. Uh, we're actually going to, I'm, I'm going to straight up read an editorial from Liberation, which is the newspaper for the Party for Socialism and Liberation. Uh, it's titled Hurricane Ian, Relief Now for the Working Class. Um, and it, it's not very long, but it hits home on a lot of different levels. Uh, there's been a recent push to privatize UK healthcare. Um, make it an insurance-based private system just like ours. Um, so, yeah, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Nord Stream. Um, we're going to talk about who could have did it. It's like a game of Clue, right? Except for we're talking about global politics and... Um, a lot of lives on the line. Uh, yeah, James, that's probably uh, something worth diving into again. Uh, it's been a while since we've really done any sort of COVID update. Um, it is spreading quite a bit. Um, also, I have concerns about how that's going to intermingle with uh, flu season as well. But we'll see. Um I think that more or less sums up what we're going to be going over tonight. So I guess we'll start with the housing market cool down. Now, I don't have a subscription to Wall Street Journal, and um, they have it set up so most, um, most uh, paywall, like 12-foot ladder doesn't work, for example. Um so there, there's no way that I've figured out to beat the paywall and I'm not giving them money. But they've been talking about how serious the cool down is and how it could affect the global economy. Um, but Wall Street Journal is talking about it. That means it's a bigger thing than maybe we'd like to admit. Um, I also want to take a second to like talk about, uh, we've talked about this in the past actually, but I just want to bring up 
adverse possession um, housing initiatives. Uh, we know that that activists in Detroit have done it. Activists in Philly have done it. Activists in Oakland, California have done it. Activists in Seattle have done it. It might not work everywhere, but there's a lot of empty homes. We can certainly get people in. James, they should not be sending you to houses where people have COVID. Holy shit. That's, that's insane. Um, So the UN urged the Federal Reserve to pause interest rate hikes on fears of a global global recession. Um, It's not just the Fed, it's uh, other major central banks as well. Um, For example, the United Kingdom is having a similar situation at the moment. Um, but the United Nations Conference on Trade and Development said the interest rate increases in austerity policies in wealthy nations represented an imprudent gamble that risks backfiring, particularly on lower-income nations. Um, the Secretary General, uh, Rebecca Grinspan, said, quote, there is still time to step back from the edge of recession. We have the tools to calm inflation and support all vulnerable groups, but the current course of action is hurting the most vulnerable, especially in developing countries, and risks tipping the world into a global recession. Uh, The agency estimated that a percentage point increase uh, in the Fed's benchmark federal funds rate reduces the economic output in other wealthy nations by about half a percent and in poor countries by about 0.8% over the next three years. Lower-income nations will already see economic output tumble by about $360 billion over the next three years as a result of the Fed rates increases just this year. Right, Um, that's from MSN, uh, MSN Money, and uh, they also have another article linked here um, that that is titled, The Fed's War on Inflation Could Cut could cost 1 million jobs. We know that they are trying to bring up the uh, unemployment rate and that they are trying to um, lower wages, right? Like the Federal Reserve Chairman has, has admitted to both of those things. And it seems like we're just kind of moving on with business as usual and nobody's really questioning like, well, why do people need to be unemployed? Because... Ultimately, that's how capitalism works. Um, If you don't have unemployment numbers, who are you going to draft for military service? If you don't have unemployment numbers, if you don't have people willing to work for next to nothing, then how are you going to keep wages low enough to keep your profits high enough? Kind of the entire premise of capitalism is to extract as much out of your employees as you can. And, uh, yeah. Um, I'm with the global recession, um, kind of concept. CNN is reporting, uh, well, it's kind of an opinion piece really, if you ask me, but, uh, it's titled five signs. The world is uh, headed for recession. Um, 
I mean, they're outright saying the question of a recession is no longer if, but when. Um, we've been saying that here on this show since they were saying there is no chance of a recession this year or next. Well, now there is 98% chance of a global recession. Um, <clears throat> and of course, the Federal Reserve is going to continue on with its most aggressive monetary tightening campaign in decades to ring inflation, even if that means triggering a recession. Um, yeah, so the dollar uh, is the first sign. The, the dollar is very strong by comparison to other, um, other currencies because they are, they are not being so aggressive in trying to ring in inflation. Most other countries, um, well, I mean, you know, in other countries, it's more difficult to completely fuck everybody over at once like that. But compared to the UK pound, the euro, China's yuan, Jap uh, Japan's yen, um, and many others have tumbled, and it makes it more expensive for those nations to import essential items like food and fuel. And uh, ultimately, that's, I mean, the dollar is strong right now because of oil. And, I mean, now we can jack up prices at home because we're selling it to Europe. And we can jack up prices to Europe because they have nowhere else to get it. Like, I mean, we are literally willing to send the entire globe into a potentially destabilizing recession for the sake of money, for oil. Um... Reason number two, or sign number two, I should say, America's economic engine stalls. America's economic engine are workers, shoppers more specifically. Um, and I mean, wages are not keeping up with inflation. Uh, people are dipping into their savings just to pay their bills. Um, People are not spending as much money in businesses, which means fewer jobs. That's kind of the idea. As I said, it all comes back to how capitalism functions and how it protects itself. <clears throat> Corporate America is tightening its belt. They're making less money. Obviously, all they care about is profit. Um, so, you know, they're spending less money overall. Uh, which means they're not expanding, they're not giving raises, they're not, uh, they're probably cutting benefits packages, etc. Uh, the stock market is in a bear market, um, strongly in a bear market at this point. Um, and I mean, you know, last year everybody was saying, oh, well, it's, it's up. The stock market's up 27%. The economy's super strong. Now it's down 24% for the year. Um, so, I mean, we're, we're also 
if you really look at it, we're right about 3% more than we were last year. Um, but the entire market is down 24%. Um, and, and we're watching these things fall kind of a, a lot quicker than I'm used to. Um, but at the end of the day, all the stock market shows is that billionaires are not doing as well. Personally, I could give a shit less. Um, but whenever it gets tougher on them, it gets tougher on us because they pass that down. So if this is how our system is going to operate, uh, you know, but, but again, it all comes down to the Fed, right? Uh, during COVID, they had no problem printing trillions of dollars and giving it straight to the 1%. But, you know, now it's the working class that's taking the biggest hit um, as we go into a recession to curb inflation, which was also the Fed's fault. It's just kind of a lot to take in. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not... I'm not going to waste too much time diving into that, but I do want to talk about uh, a little bit deeper the these adverse possession housing campaigns. Exactly, Natalie, that's just how capitalism operates. Um, to get back to these, these housing discussions before we move on to Hurricane Ian, um, like, obviously, adverse possession laws are different. Uh, from state to state or sometimes from city to city. Um, however, there is like three empty houses to every homeless person in this country, right? Everybody needs, at the bare minimum, food, water, and shelter. Okay, like... I mean, if a property owner is literally neglecting their property, somebody goes in there and fixes it up and starts living there. That's actually illegal more often than not. Um, of course, there are different ways to do it in different areas. Look into your local laws. Um, but there has been success of organizations doing exactly that. I forget the name of the activist group in Detroit that was doing it, but they've been doing it for 10 years. Um, Poor People's Army in Philadelphia has been uh, putting people in houses for a decade. Um, and then Occupy Oakland, uh, they were doing a similar thing out there. Um, I've heard of Seattle and Portland both having similar type um, operations. Right. So this is something that's replicatable in a lot, a lot of areas. Um, and as we're going into the cold season, I think it's especially important to bring this up. Um, yeah, moving on. So I already shared this link in the comments, um, but in case you missed it, I am going to sorry, share this link again. Um, that is the link to the Socialist Rifle Association's mutual aid page for Hurricane Ian relief. They're right at the top. There is a link 
Oh, that's funny. The link is dead. It says click here to donate, but it won't. Huh. It worked earlier when I tested it. That's interesting. But uh, the short blurb that they put with this, maybe it's just something on my end. Uh, anyway, it says, we are entering a time of abandonment by the capitalist state, and it is abundantly clear no one is coming to help us. As fundament fundamental pillars of our society crumble, greater burdens will fall on us as socialists, as working people, and as neighbors to take care of each other. To this end, the Socialist Rifle Association aims to expand our SRA activities. Uh, with this in mind, we are currently raising funds in order to support relief efforts in communities impacted by Hurricane Ian. We plan to use this money to provide direct aid, such as drinking water, personal items, and other in-demand items. In addition, any money not spent on direct aid will be given to other groups providing relief or will be used for other direct aid actions related to disaster relief in the upcoming hurricane season. Providing for our neighbors in times of need is a core pillar of community defense. We keep us safe. Um, I'm hoping it's just something on my end with the donation link being broken. Like I said, it opened earlier when, uh, when I was testing it out before the show. Um, I'm sure at this point, most of you have seen images, uh, or video or chopper footage or whatever from Fort Myers. I just have a couple of, I'm just going to go ahead and screen share the articles. This one is, uh, ABC news. Yes. It's about Sanibel Island, um, primarily, um, uh, about 30 minutes ago, I just stepped off the boat. Um, we were on, on the island for about four hours today. It was our first look on the ground. And although I, I see everything that's um, been shot all around us, unless you're on the ground, um, it, you really can't take in the gravity of what we experienced. Um, it, it, it's, it's a different Sanibel. We know, of course, so many people have second homes, vacation homes in Sanibel. Do you have a sense of how many people were actually there at the time? Um, yeah, last night we had a list of approximately 300 residences to check. And then there could have been multiple people um, within those residences. So, you know, there was a, there was a pretty good number of people that, um, that chose to, to shelter in place during the storm. You mentioned 300 residents. Do you, do you have a sense of how many may be missing or, or any sense of possible loss of life? Um, we're, we, you know, it's a, it's a moving target right now, to be honest with you. As we're getting the names and we're still getting names called in, you know, it's a pretty comprehensive list that we're getting and the logistics of saying, okay, are they okay? You know, have we made contact, the well visits? Um, who is who is missing it's going to take you know several days to get that compiled because some people could be leaving the island by other means than ours so just kind of verifying those needs um those those individuals as we can is really important for us uh as far as we know at this point the number of fatalities recorded are four and is that a number you expect to go up i hope not um, I will tell you, looking at uh, what we saw today, um, I, I hope it doesn't increase. Uh, we've got several areas that still uh, 
our assets haven't been able to get to and get through. So it, it's a slow process, but I'm going to be, I want to be very optimistic that uh, we're going to get everybody, everybody off as we, everybody else off that we can, and they're going to be safe. We certainly hope so. You know, we're, we're looking at these images. We are seeing the devastation. It, it's hard to wrap your head around it. What at this hour is the biggest need? And how is the lack of access to Sanibel because of the, the destruction of the causeway? How is that hampering recovery efforts? Well, um, I think I've got to do, when I was there today, the response. So we, we got on the ground yesterday. Um, our first responders were on the ground, I think, probably by 8 a.m. And that's, that's pretty impressive since we, you know, we, we just finished the storm. What we saw today in, in sense of those first responders and how they, how they got on there and acted immediately, I think that we were doing everything we can. The call out um, from the federal, from the state level, our commission, um, our, our police department, there are so many boots on the ground with that search and, and rescue effort going on. Uh, I'm absolutely amazed. Uh, how much they have done so far, clearing the road, they are getting the job done. And that's our priority one, to get everybody off safely. I was on the, uh, coming back on the boat. There were 50 people um, that we had recorded that got evacuated um, from the boat that we were going over on. So they're working hard. They're working fast. And people are coming out, getting to the road, and, and getting the help that they need. That is certainly good to hear. You know, so many people are watching this unfold, so many people across the country, and they want to help. What can people be doing right now to, to help your community? Well, right now, um, you know, we're in an operational phase for search and rescue, and we realize everyone wants to volunteer and everyone wants to help. And we're going to have those opportunities. But right now, the, the people that are in charge, our first responders under our, you know, our city manager, Dana Souza, and our employees here in the city of Sanibel with the county help, um, we have to do this a certain way, a safe way. So we're asking on standby. We do have an opportunity for people to call in to the city for a volunteer list. And as we have the logistics that we need, in place to have a plan for, we're going to be making those calls because this is going to be a very long recovery process. But right now, it's getting everybody off that island into safety. It is not habitable. A very long road ahead indeed. Mayor Smith, thank you so much for joining us. Our thoughts are with you and your family and the people of your community tonight. Thank you very much. We're, we are very resilient and, and we will return. That's a lot of damage. But if you haven't seen it, the causeway leading to Sanibel Island, it, it's washed out in multiple spots. Um, that's an actual bridge section that's gone. Um, as you see, the causeway itself was washed out in parts. Um, and then, of course, you know, Fort Myers Beach, it, it doesn't look like much of a beach anymore. There's so much devastation. Um, a mobile home park in Fort Myers Beach. Um, I mean, there were six to 700 rescues as of Saturday morning in Lee County. Um, this is...
is uh, part of the causeway that that failed as well. Um, I've also got a CNN uh, bit. Um, this is from today. The death toll is officially over 100. Um, at least 54 people were in Lee County alone. Uh, which is better than the initial estimates. They were saying that there was probably going to be hundreds uh, in Lee County alone. So it could be a lot worse. Um, I will go ahead and play this video as well, though. And yeah, James, it would take a lot of places a year or more just to replace that bridge. Um, Yeah. And authorities here in southwest Florida are still trying to get their arms around the full scope of the devastation left by Hurricane Ian. We went out with some residents in this area who went home and found a heartbreaking scene. Wow. Careful. Yeah. I want to show you something. <laughs> After Hurricane Ian, Penny MacGyver came back to her home yeah. and found heartache. Her home is now filled with mud. Memories are all she has left. Everything is ruined. That was where the water went up again. You can so see right here, there. you can see wow. um, along there. And like I said, we just painted this like last week. Oh my goodness! But Patty, I mean, what goes through your mind when you look at all this? The first thing is, we're alive. <laughs> yeah. We're alive. Um, we don't know our future because we don't know. Um, can we rebuild? Um, it is much of the same story in community after community along the southwest coast of Florida. The storm surge combined with the ferocious winds unleashed by Ian hammered just about everything in its path. In Benita Springs and countless other neighborhoods, the long cleanup begins. The road leading through these homes is now a river of sludge. We were very lucky. We had four people that stayed and they were really scared. Uh, they were thinking they thought it was over for them because the water just kept coming but luckily once it hit 14 feet it started receding our neighbors that got stuck here they lived through um irma irma and they had heard three foot surge so they stayed and they had two dogs and once the surge came in it was too late they couldn't get out so that's why they saved her they here. stayed in our house it's just up the coast in Matt Lachey, people are searching for survivors. The storm surge took out this road and tossed cars like they were toys. There's a bridge that's intact just about a block from here, maybe a quarter of a mile, nothing more than that. But the road leading to that bridge is completely washed out. So the island that's on the other side of that bridge is cut off right now. But you can't get over the bridge? No. You're talking about the big bridge? These men say they got out, but some of their neighbors weren't so fortunate. You know, it was bad. It was just there was the water came up really really quick people on the side of the road were gone in an instant it was like washing paper into a paper shredder back at patty mciver's home she is salvaging what she can like this american flag she pulled off her kitchen counter and placed in front of her home it's muddy but you know it fared pretty good like the rest of this hard-hit region battered but not beaten 
And the residents in this area tell us the needs that they have at this point are endless. They have, in many cases, no power, no water, no cell phone service. They just hope that state and federal authorities are on the way with much needed help. So pretty much, um, you know, it goes without saying they need they need food, they need water, they need housing, they need cell phone service. They need to be able to let their families know that they're okay. Right? They need a place to sleep at night. They need to make sure they don't die of dehydration. They need places to shower. Right? So, I, I mean, those are the things ultimately that uh, aid organizations on the ground like uh like the SRA, for example. Um, these are the kinds of aid that these groups are going to be offering. Um, then the last thing I have on Hurricane Ian, I'm going to share the link to this one as well. Uh, this is an editorial from Liberation News, which is the newspaper for the Party for Socialism and Liberation. Um, all it says is for author is liberation staff. Uh, this was published on the 29th. So, um, here we go. Hurricane Ian has caused enormous damage throughout Florida, smashing into the state as a category four storm with winds reaching 150 plus miles per hour. While the exact death toll is still to be determined, Ian has clearly caused major loss of life. Um, the sheriff of Lee County said that morning, I definitely know fatalities are in the hundreds. Luckily, there has only been 42 uh, fatalities reported in Lee County, so the sheriff was a bit off. Um, and that's good news in this situation. Um, Joe Biden warned again that day, that this could be the deadliest hurricane in Florida's history. The storm struck just after ripping across Cuba, Cuba and then set its sights on South Carolina. Um, Natalie, I think the best option for mold uh, for these people at this point is going to be bleach. Honestly, bleach and um, circulation like airflow. Um, but yeah, that's going to be a big issue in the coming months as well. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, the This tragic loss of life could have been avoided. While the government may issue evacuation orders, who in reality makes it out of the path of the storm reflects the extreme inequality that exists in society. Many workers were pressured by their bosses not to evacuate and to continue to come into work almost right, right up until the moment that Ian made landfall. Securing alternative housing for an indefinite period of time is a huge financial burden on workers, as is finding transportation out of the zone. In Fort Myers, one of the areas most badly affected, authorities refused to evacuate the Lee County Jail. This wanton disregard for the lives of incarcerated people reflects the anti-worker and racist attitudes of state and local officials and is typical of the entire prison system. In short, when a hurricane approaches, you are on your own to make it to safety. 
This everyone-for-themselves model of hurricane response is a perfect encapsulation of the incompetence and moral bankruptcy of the U.S. capitalist system, and it has deadly consequences. Rescue efforts are currently underway. It is standard practice for authorities in Florida and throughout the country to prioritize the protection of the property of the rich over saving the lives of the poor, especially black and Latino workers. This must not repeat itself in the wake of Ian. The aftermath of major storms like these are often the occasion of other forms of injustice. Far-right Florida Governor Ron DeSantis stated today, quote, You're looking at a storm that's changed the character of a significant part of our state. This is going to require years of effort to be able to rebuild and to come back. But in whose interests will this rebuilding be carried out? Without a doubt, the damage to the infrastructure is enormous. Over 2.6 million power outages have been reported. And, that, and, and, and just to put this in perspective, that's households and businesses. That's not like, you know, 2.6 million people. Um. I would like to see an updated number on that if anybody's got a, a free moment to Google it. Um, how many people are still without power? Uh, critical pieces of equipment related to the electrical grid have been destroyed. That's why I want to know the number that's still out. There was transformers and distribution stations and all sorts of shit that, uh, you know, were hit. Uh, in the hardest hit counties, the lights are out for 90 to 100% of customers, like Lee County, for example. Countless homes have been rendered uninhabitable by Ian's impact. We saw just a fraction of that in those clips that I showed. Only 18.5% of homes in the counties that issued evacuation orders are covered by the National Flood Insurance Program. Residents fear that assistance from FEMA will be inadequate and slow to arrive. Uh, something that happens repeatedly in major disasters like these. Remember, uh, okay, so like Hurricane Katrina, that was, that was what, 17 years ago, something like that? Holy shit, that made me feel old to say that out loud. Um, it took FEMA well over a week to, re to even begin to respond to Hurricane Katrina. So I don't know if FEMA is on the ground. Uh, supposedly, we learned from that. Uh, we will see, obviously. But um, this is something we see all the time. Hurricane Sandy. There was people in canoes and kayaks going up and down the flooded streets in freezing temperatures to deliver hot meals to people or to rescue them from their flooded homes. Right? It wasn't FEMA. We, we save us. A boil water notice was issued in Lee County where Fort Myers is located because of damage to a water distribution pipeline. Considering the decrepit state of the U.S. water infrastructure, there is no telling how long this may take to fix. And that's no joke. Like, seriously. Um, depending on how damaged the infrastructure is, Uh, completely unconcerned with human suffering, to many capitalists, this devastation represents an opportunity to profit. In addition to money from government contracts to carry out reconstruction efforts, the devastated areas could be rebuilt in the interests of the rich. Affordable housing could be replaced by luxury condos and expensive commercial properties that would be a massive source of income for their owners.
Critical infrastructure may be neglected long enough that many working-class residents never come back. Struggle is the only way to prevent this from coming to pass and to secure life-saving relief from the government in the short term. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything to add to that. Uh, it was it was well said. And, um, yeah. Um, and yeah, Natalie, it was close to a category five. It was, uh, it, it, at the eye wall, uh, when it made landfall in Fort Myers, um, it was like one or two miles per hour winds short of a category five. Like it was basically a category five hurricane. Um, but yeah, anyway, I, I just want to reiterate that I think that the only thing that can save us in situations like this, the only thing that's going to save us from climate change is us. If we want climate sound infrastructure, we're, we have to figure out how to develop that. Obviously, we have to start smaller than that. We have to start with supply chains and disaster relief. Um, but yeah, I mean... There is a lot that can be done, you know, community gardens, guerrilla gardening, um, um, food, uh, clothing, redistribution, housing programs. I mean, there, there is a lot we can do. There is a lot being done. Um, but yeah, there's, there's nobody coming to save us. We have to do it ourselves. So, you know, rather than lead you to despair, let these kind of situations drive you to actually organizing in your communities. Get to know your neighbors, you know, maybe, uh, maybe if something catastrophic happens in your town as far as a natural disaster goes, you know, you can actually get out of it alive and together. Anyway, um, I am making way faster time uh, in this than I usually do. Um, hold on, I'm reading uh, Trisha's message. Huh. All right. Well, it sounds like Trisha is probably not going to be joining us tonight, which I, I kind of figured at this point, to be honest. Um, yeah. All right. The Bolsonaro runoff election. Um, I mean, damn it, I did not mean to click a Fox News article. I am not. I am not. Um, okay, so Bolsonaro proved the polls wrong and forced his socialist opponent into a runoff election. 
Um, if, if you don't know, uh, Bolsonaro is the president of Brazil. He is a far right. Uh, I, I guess I could just go out and say it fascist. Um, he had significant support from Trump. Um, actually, Trump took credit for, you know, getting him to the runoff election. Um, Lula's recuperation, Lula da Silva, Luis Encio Lula da Silva, known as Lula, slowly and steadily cut into the lead. Um, Bolsonaro began the evening with a modest lead of 8%. Uh, with 70% re reporting at 8 p.m., Lula took a slight lead, eventually finishing with 48% to Bolsonaro's 43.5, a significantly tighter outcome than polls had indicated. Um, Bolsonaro appears to have outperformed in the South and Southeast, doing particularly well in Sao Paulo and his political power, power base of Rio de Janeiro. Um, Lula performed extremely well in the traditional workers' party power base of the Northeast uh, region. Um, this is an important election to watch. I mean, honestly, do the numbers really uh, matter? I, I, don't, I don't think the numbers really, really matter any deeper than that anyway. Uh, so Bolsonaro has been ruling with an iron fist since he came to power. Uh, he has taken the country in an extremely right-wing direction. Um, and, you know, Lula is offering an, a different option. And people want a different option. In fact, people explicitly want socialism. So... Um, Yeah, obviously, I hope that Lula wins. Um, Bolsonaro has been very friendly to, you know, U.S., the U.S. ruling class, uh, has been very friendly to bringing uh, U.S. investment there. Um, and the people have had enough of that. And I, I think that we are going to see those... Um, those results in that runoff election, but time will tell. Uh, the UK healthcare privatization. Um, I mean, it, it, this comes from a comment, uh, not a comment, from a letter to the editor, basically, on something. What well, I got it, Trisha got it from Twitter, um, but it's a, it's a screenshot saying an insurance-based system, this is from David Davis, an insurance-based system is the only way to save the NHS. And they're calling it radical reform. So they have already privatized some aspects of um, the NHS. Um, 
And in those areas, we have seen, well, not we, they, they have seen uh, wait times spiral out of control. They have seen costs skyrocket. And they, they, they want to do this to the whole system. We pay the most for healthcare. We get the least out of it. We have some of the longest waiting times in the world. And they want to model their system off of ours. Obviously, the UK has been experiencing a rightward surge as well. Um, this is why it's problematic. It's going to be the vulnerable people that get hit hardest by this, just like it is here. I mean, if you're rich, who cares? You can just spend the money to go to the doctor. But if you're working class or middle class or even comfortably middle class, it's not that simple. And then you end up waiting months to be seen by a family doctor and you're still paying out the ass for it. Um, I don't think the people of the UK want that. I know I wouldn't. I don't want what we have. And I think that's going to bring us to our last um, topic, which is, we talked about it a little bit uh, last Friday. Oh, geez. Sorry, we talked about it a little bit last Friday. Um, but there is uh, so both pipelines were sabotaged, right? Now, let's do just a little bit of a, a tiny bit of a history lesson here, right? Who opposed Nord Stream in the first place? The U.S., who spent a lot of money lobbying European governments to decline Nord Stream. The U.S. Huh. All right, well, who uh, spent a lot of money working against Nord Stream after they were uh, after the first one was operational? Oh, the U.S. Who tried to stop the second Nord Stream from ever being activated? Hmm. The U.S. Then, not even a week before these leaks happened, the U.S. was saying that it was going to sabotage the Nord Stream pipeline. Um... And then poof, it gets attacked. And the entire mainstream narrative is Russia did it. Now, it's kind of Russia's cash cow. Uh, they spent a lot of money on that infrastructure. Right? I have a very hard time thinking that Russia would sabotage their own pipelines. I mean... I don't know, just because the U.S. says that they didn't do it tends to make me think that they did. Plus, you know, the history. Seriously, I mean, you can't just ignore that. They've been fighting against it for decades. Literally decades. Um...
Yeah. Hang on just a second. I had a video pulled up, but it's Fox News, and I just don't feel like dealing with that. This one's Daily Motion. I'll deal with it. President Biden called the damage to the Nord Stream natural gas pipelines a deliberate act of sabotage, rebuking Russia's claim that the West was responsible for the explosions. The president said Friday that divers would eventually be sent to the pipelines, which were designed to bring gas from Russia to Europe, to determine what happened. It was a deliberate act of sabotage and the Russians are pumping out disinformation and lies, Biden said. At the appropriate moment, when things calm down, we're going to be sending divers down to find out exactly what happened. We don't know that yet exactly, he added. Biden's comments come after Russian President Vladimir Putin on Friday accused the West of sabotaging the Russia-built natural gas pipelines under the Baltic Sea to Germany, a charge vehemently denied by the United States and its allies. Nordic nations said the undersea blasts that damaged the pipelines this week and have led to huge methane leaks involved several hundred pounds of explosives. The claim by Putin came ahead of an emergency meeting Friday at the UN Security Council in New York. On the attacks on the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines, and as Norwegian researchers published a map projecting that a huge plume of methane from the damaged pipelines will travel over large swaths of the Nordic region. Speaking Friday in Moscow at a ceremony to annex four regions of Ukraine into Russia, Putin claimed that Anglo-Saxons in the West have turned from imposing sanctions on Russia to terror attacks, sabotaging the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines in what he described as an attempt to destroy the European energy infrastructure. He added that those who profit from it have done it, without naming a specific country. The Biden administration dismissed Putin's claims as outlandish. We're not going to let Russia's disinformation distract us or the world from its transparently fraudulent attempt to annex sovereign Ukrainian territory, White House. National Security Council spokeswoman Adrienne Watson said Friday. I'm not going through seven minutes of that robot voice, but... Yeah, so just to kind of recap that, right? Um, U.S. companies stand to make a lot of money, both off of you and I and off of Europeans, as natural gas prices go through the fucking roof because they are no longer getting it from Russia. And now, even if the invasion were to be over tomorrow, there will be no gas from Russia to Europe. So, um, yeah, I mean, literally, Russia did what Russia needed to do with Nord Stream. They hit the off switch, as Trisha said in the comments. Um, but, yeah, and I, I mean, also, I think it was to distract from the fact that four different regions of Ukraine voted to become part of Russia, just like we saw with Crimea back in 2017, I think it was. Um, 
2018 maybe. But we've seen this before. Right. And I mean, the media can say that they were rigged all they want, but they were probably no more rigged than our own election systems are, if not less, probably less. Um, point is, these regions haven't wanted to be part of Ukraine. Ukraine has been seriously oppressing the Russian speaking population and the Romani populations in these areas for a very long time. Um, I mean, obviously, Ukraine wasn't going to let them vote to join Russia. That's their territory. Um, anyway, also, the U.S. has been saying repeatedly that the risk of Putin using nuclear weapons has never been higher. Um, and, I mean, the U.S. has been talking about how they would respond to it. So, I mean, yeah, we also were talking about this months ago, but we were basically in a second Cold War, and um, I just hope that uh, Biden and his Western counterparts are not stupid enough to push the button. Same goes for Putin. But... Uh, that has definitely been the West narrative, is that uh, Putin's going to use nukes. But they've also been saying that since he invaded in February, and he has not been using nukes. There we go. Uh, Natalie said in the comments, we are in the darkness of propaganda. And I mean, one of my personal goals for this is always to bend, to be a beacon away from the darkness. Yep. Um, I don't think I have anything else to talk about, really. I knew it was going to be a shorter show with just me by myself because it's not like a two or three way conversation. It's just me. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah just to recap um, take a look at mutual aid projects going on in uh, Florida actually let me see if I can find some shit real quick I mean, honestly, not much. It's all about uh, mutual aid utility crews, which are still important, but it's not what I'm looking for. But to be fair, most of these people are going to be on the ground. Um, they're going to be busy, right? So, I mean, they might not have time to, to write or post when they're doing things. Um let me do a, let me check one more spot. Oh, it takes me to the Climate Science Center. 
Yeah, I'm not really. Uh, not really seeing too. Too, too much. Um. I mean, the Osceola County Progressive Caucus is doing a resource hub. That's pretty cool of them. I shared this link last Friday. I'm going to share it again. It's Central Florida Mutual Aid. They haven't um, posted much about what they're doing, um, per se, but... Um, there we go. Oh yeah, COVID. So cases have been rising. Um, I don't, I don't really even want to bring up testing numbers because we've pretty much stopped testing and tracking cases. Um, but that being said, just in the circle of people that I know, I have definitely seen an uptick in cases regardless of where they live. Um, I know that's just circumstantial from a scientific perspective, but I mean, I literally know people all across the country and there was a bunch of people getting sick within a couple of weeks. Um, so hopefully that's, you know, better. Um, there's a lot of people in this mutual aid group talking about what they've lost or what they need or the little ways that they're able to help out. But, um, did I post that link in the comments? Yes, I did. I agree, James. Dean would be a good person for that. Um, Maybe for the next show, I can manage to uh, get a hold of him and see what he thinks about it. Because I don't have any scientific sources to go off of, really. Like I said, I can't, I can't rely on the CDC's numbers at this point. They've completely stopped tracking. They've, they've stopped keeping track of tests. Um, and we're never going to see another wave in the, in the graph like we did with the you know, first four waves because we've stopped tracking it. Um, and then, like I said, I'd like to, to put out there my concern about, uh, you know, COVID season, now that it's endemic and flu season overlapping. Um, I think that's a significant risk as well. Um, just to see if I can find any COVID stats, I'm going to see, like I said, my hopes aren't high. Um, I am going to put another uh, link in the comments. I'm typing it out. Sorry for the awkward silence. Um...
Okay. Boston has a COVID-19 map still. Or Massachusetts does, as to how I should have said that. Um, yeah, that's kind of what I figured. I will screen share this anyway. So, um, just to see our seven-day average here, even though we're not tracking cases, we're still looking at, I, I mean, this claims uh, 415,000 cases. That's a seven-day average, so that, that's the average per day over and they're saying that it was higher in July, August. Now, if you if you remember, the last uh, CDC guideline change came. I forget if it was at the end of July or early August, but you notice how since then it's kind of just been tapering down. And I mean, really, we stopped tracking cases like we should. Well, back in here somewhere. Um, but we were still tracking them. And then the, the big uh, Omicron wave, right? And this is this is seven-day average daily cases was over 3 million. This is globally, of course. Um, but yeah, I actually, that's a, that's a good point. Why am I looking at the global? Here we go. Oh, that's not what I want. Yeah, so like I said, um, late July, early August, we stopped tracking altogether, and it's just continuously gone down. So yeah, that's kind of what I expected to see. Um, we are still tracking deaths, and yet again, these are daily, uh, 276, 363, 4-something. Seven-day averages are more accurate, so we're looking at still, you know, 250, 230 uh, deaths a day on average here in the United States. Um, yeah, I'd be interested in knowing what the real numbers look like. Um, yeah, okay. Anyway, like I said, that's really all I got. I just uh, wanted to circle back to the mutual aid groups, uh, specifically Central Florida Mutual Aid um, and the SRA. Um, if, if you have a few dollars that you're able to give, do it. Or if you want to learn from these things and start putting together community defense networks that are capable of responding to a natural disaster, um, do it. You know, it, it doesn't take an army. It takes a handful of people to get started. Other people will see it when the time comes and be like, how can I help? That's, that's kind of the nature of humanity. 
That's how we survived. That's how we evolved. Um, see one thing. So, uh, I do, I do want to show the only thing really that I've seen reported on things like this comes from NBC news. For all the destruction and heartbreak we're seeing here in Florida, something else stands out as well. Something in our nature, I guess, that makes us want to help. In our darkest moments, we sometimes struggle to find the light, but it was at first light that the helpers came. Hey, tell me when you need help. Volunteers and first responders raced into floodwaters, pulling people from submerged cars and homes. During a live broadcast from Naples, Australian cameraman Glenn Ellis rushed to help a family struggling to walk through floodwaters. We're just, uh, just helping some people through the water here. That's our camera operator. In Orlando, that piggyback of a lifetime from a local reporter for the nurse whose car became stuck on the way to work. And it's not just people who are in need of assistance. A shivering cat rescued from rising waters. And this good boy was carried out of the waves and wind. Help is coming from far and wide. I was coming down here to check the area. Deputy Jason Patch is from Yorktown, Virginia. He came across a man stranded on the roof of his truck. He called for help and an airboat was dispatched. 96 members of Miami-Dade Fire and Rescue set off this morning. And while we are just scratching the surface of the heartache and damage that Ian inflicted, time and time again, we are seeing humanity at its best. Now, obviously, it's deeper than that, but we always see communities come together in these types of situations. And it wouldn't be so dire if we had these networks in place beforehand. That's the point I want to try to drive home tonight. Um, anyway, as I've already said, that's really all I had to talk about tonight. Um, I hope you all have a great week. Remember to turn tune into the Panther classes. One of them we will be able to do live um, with Trisha's internet situation currently. Um, the others we will definitely get on uh, the website and on podcast platforms, etc. Um, we've been we've been slacking on that, but we're back at it. Um, hi, Vicky. <laughs> And uh, I just want to thank you all for joining us tonight. And um, if you're coming in late, feel free to watch it over from the beginning later. Um, all power to the people. Let's have a good night. Thank you.